Hello Clash fans, Trample Damage here, welcoming you back to yet another thrilling episode of Inside Clash with Trample Damage. Today we are going to be taking a slightly different take and slightly different look at the rushing versus maxing debate that I've seen raging many times over the years as far as how people should progress through Clash of Clans. We're going to take a slightly different approach and talk about that from more of an educational perspective, and then we're going to get into some of the math behind damage and managing your resources. There's definitely like a Goldilocks approach here of like too much damage, not enough damage, and then just the right amount of damage as you're approaching your attacks. And then of course we will get into some questions from the audience. Trample damage brings you some flesh. Trample damage on his podcast. When I started playing Clash of Clans back in 2014, I was very much of the school of thought of wanting to max all of my defenses before I moved on to a new town hall. This was literally everything, every trap, every wall, and that meant that it took a long time to progress through the game. I think in 2014, I spent almost, so 14 into 15, I spent almost nine months as a town hall nine with a lot of that time spent maxing my walls because walls were substantially more expensive back then than they are today. And I had other people that were playing around the same time, and they had, you know, like paper thin defenses, and they were a Town Hall 10. But they'd have their Inferno Towers, and so their bases were still, you know, they were strong because Inferno Towers were strong. And this was, you know, before 2017, so prior to Town Hall 11 being released. And just a couple of Inferno Towers on your base were absolutely going to be dangerous. Now, my clan at the time, the good guys, we always recommended to people that you max your base before moving on to the next town hall. And we were really thinking about it mostly from a war perspective. We wanted to make sure that we weren't going in with bases that were easy to three star. And we actually got up to a 22 or 23 war win streak at one point. And a lot of it was just from let's be good solid attackers and let's have good solid defense. So let's not let one outpace the other. Over time, I have seen people, you know, especially as the siege machines became available, people started rushing minis to be able to donate to themselves or to donate to the rest of the clan. And a lot of people would push their town halls well ahead in terms of their offense over their defense. And a lot of that came down to, hey, offense wins wars, which I don't disagree with that. I'm not going to get too sidetracked on my preferences between maxing and rushing. My still, my primary preference is maxing. Like if I were starting the game today, knowing what I know about the game, I would probably try to max each town hall, but not because of the same arguments that other people are thinking, where it's like some kind of like unwritten weird rule that you need to max your defenses before moving on or max your offenses before moving on. I'm not talking about it from like a box checking perspective, but more from an educational perspective. To illustrate this point, I want to go back to 2019 when I first started making YouTube content. I was looking for different attacks to make, and I already had town halls at multiple levels, so I had opportunities to make Clash content for town halls 7 through 12, which 12 was max at the time. I liked having opportunities to talk through the nuances of each of the attacks. One of the things I had a lot of fun with was specifically making Hog Rider tutorial videos and showing the evolution of Hog Rider attacks from Town Hall 7 all the way up through Town Hall 12 and some of the nuances that you had to understand if you wanted to be a successful Hog Rider attacker at each of those Town Hall levels. When I think about my skills as an air attacker around the time Town Hall 12 was maxed, so this is probably like, say, five, six months before Town Hall 13 came out, my air skills were much more limited than they are today. But in an effort to make a 
at least marginally entertaining YouTube video, I decided to go through and show people how to learn doing Lalo at Town Hall 12. And so I started, I was in Legend League, and I'm just like, I'm just going to start using these Queen Charge Lalo attacks. And it was a disaster. Like, I had no idea what I'm doing. I got spammy. Like, I'd drop like seven or eight balloons somewhere, and I'd take way too long on a Queen Charge, or I'd try like a Hero Sui version, and everything would just go wrong. And eventually I did get a little bit better, but I just didn't feel like I was developing the right skill set. I think that the reason that I had trouble, at least I decided this at the time, the reason I had trouble mastering a Lalo is because I had no Lalo skills that were formed earlier on at Town Hall 9 or 10 or 11. And I liken this to the same way that when exceptionally bright individuals could absolutely start learning the fundamentals of calculus without having learned algebra, geometry, trigonometry, but having a good solid basis in algebra, geometry, trigonometry, sets you up for success when learning calculus. I believe the same thing applies in Clash of Clans, where, yes, somebody who never used Lalo before could start watching a lot of Lalo tutorials and eventually become an accomplished Lalo attacker, but there is a difference between being able to learn the attack piecemeal as you develop through the game. Specifically, what I mean by that is... When I was having trouble figuring out my Lalo attacks, I actually was like, you know what? I actually have a Town Hall 9, I have a 10, I have an 11, I have a 12. I'm going to go back and just start practicing Lalo at Town Hall 9. And I watched a couple of YouTube videos. I think uh, one of the videos I remember watching that I found uh, useful for me was Clash with Eric had a Town Hall 9 Lalo video that I watched. And I thought, hey, this is good. And it wasn't too overwhelming. I've got Expos to deal with. That's, of course, dangerous. I've got the Clan Castle to deal with, which is always a very important thing to handle for your balloon attacks, and the enemy Archer Queen. And so I started figuring out how to successfully execute Lalo attacks as a Town Hall 9. After I did that, I moved on to Town Hall 10, and I started making Town Hall 10 attacks with my Lalo. And I started learning how to incorporate, again, I'm still worrying about the Archer Queen. I'm still worrying about the enemy clan castle troops. I'm still keeping an eye on the Expos, but now I'm also trying to figure out how to work in dealing with the Inferno Towers. Same thing gets into Town Hall 11, where you have to figure out how to prioritize and manage the Eagle Artillery, and then into Town Hall 12, having to power through the Giga Tesla and the exploding Town Hall. And what I ended up finding was that as I honed my skills with, I'm going to call it an easier subject, because in a lot of ways, Town Hall 9 Lalo is easier and more simplistic than Town Hall 10, which is more simplistic than Town Hall 11, and so on, which absolutely still holds true to this day. Lalo for Town Hall 14 is less complicated and less confusing than Lalo for Town Hall 15. What I found was that this applied for other attack strategies as well. People would sometimes watch my Town Hall 12 Hog Rider attack videos and tell me, hey, I'm having trouble figuring this out. And so what I would end up telling them to do is, if they could, get friendly challenges against lower-level Town Halls. Now, this isn't exactly fair because I know that lower-level Town Halls against higher-level Hog Riders are never going to be the exact same. But I would talk through telling people like, you know, don't use a siege machine, you know, practice a town hall, you know, attack against a town hall eight, which sounds dumb with town hall 12 troops, but just to understand the targets and the priority and the pacing and get a feel for main thing you're doing at town hall seven and eight is dealing with the clan castle troops. And then you let your hog riders run amok and hopefully they're not clustered up too closely together where the giant bombs can deal an impressive amount of damage to basically your entire pack of hog riders. Heading into Town Hall 9, Town Hall 10, you start worrying about Inferno Towers. Town Hall 11, you're needing to make sure that the Eagle Artillery does not wipe out your entire batch of hog riders. Again, into Town Hall 12, dealing with the exploding Town Hall. 
And what I found over time was people tended to do better with some of these attacks when they would either learn them as they come up through the town halls or if they were to be able to somehow go back and practice, whether on their mini accounts or very loosely, you know, taking a higher town hall and curb stomping lower town halls, but using fewer troops and just trying to focus on the hog rider pathing, the way to deal with the clan castle troops, the way to deal with the enemy heroes. And it's something that I've found a lot of success with. In all of the same ways, I think about the rushing versus maxing debate to be less a function of at what amount of of defensive upgrades or offensive upgrades have elapsed before I should move on to the next town hall. I'm not necessarily thinking about this from the perspective of somebody who wants to maximize their time, but somebody who wants to maximize their skill and their understanding. I firmly believe that you should not move from Town Hall 7 to Town Hall 8 if you are terrible at understanding Town Hall 7 attacks. Now, there are people out there who are not great attackers, and I'm not saying people who are terrible at executing the attacks, but at least understanding some general fundamentals that go into the attacks. At Town Hall 7, you should probably have an understanding of how to attack with dragons, not just dragons by themselves, but also a dragloon attack where you're incorporating a couple of balloons. You've got zap dragon attacks, you've got rage dragon attacks, you've got, of course, hog rider attacks that you can master at Town Hall 7, and you even still, Town Hall 7, even though it's not the most viable and most strategically well-placed attack, a, you know, Jai Wiz army with some healers is also very powerful at Town Hall 7. What I tend to tell people is, as you move from one town hall to the next, there are a couple of attacks that you should practice and understand and master, and that should be one of the limiting reagents in helping you decide when to move on to the next town hall. For example, if you're a town hall 10 attacker, you probably want to learn some kind of Lalo attack. You probably want to learn some kind of smash attack. You probably want to have some kind of understanding about how a queen charge works. At town hall 9, if you start practicing the fundamentals of a queen charge when you have fewer defenses to worry about and fewer obstacles to avoid, you will develop a basic understanding that is kind of like the algebra equivalence in Clash of Clans. As you move to higher town halls, you start learning more complicated pieces and dealing with like, what do I want my queen to charge into? Is she trying to get the eagle artillery and the clan castle? Is she trying to get the town hall when you're dealing with weaponized town halls? It becomes a subject that is easier to navigate because you've got basics and fundamentals that will help guide you through the evolution of these attacks. Now, obviously, for something like you know, when Yetis come out at Town Hall 12, you're not trying to learn Yetis for Town Hall 11, 10, and 9 because they don't exist there. And when the Electro Titan was released for Town Hall 15, it was only made available back to Town Hall 14. So obviously at Town Hall 13, you don't need to have an understanding of the Electro Titan. But at Town Hall 13, the same kind of smash attacks that are powerful and popular using Electro Titans at Town Hall 14 and 15... They are the same kind of smash attacks that are using P.E.K.K.A.s and Yetis at Town Hall 13, or P.E.K.K.A.s and Yetis at Town Hall 12, or Ice Golems and P.E.K.K.A.s, or Golems and P.E.K.K.A.s, and you, you watch the evolution in reverse, and the Go Wipe attack that you start learning as a Town Hall 8 has a lot of the same fundamentals that you will eventually wind up using in Yeti smash attacks, P.E.K.K.A. smash attacks, and eventually into an E-Titan type of smash attack. It depends, you know, you got Zap Titans, you got, you know, Blizz Titans. There's a lot of different ways of doing these things, but a lot of the fundamentals are learned at earlier town halls. 
when some people they'll say like, oh, I don't I don't max my goblins because I don't use them for farming. And the truth is sneaky goblins are one of the most powerful and useful troops later on. Super archers are incredibly powerful, but they are limited by your archer level. So you need to level up some of these troops so that you can start experimenting with the super troops that come available at each level. You can start experimenting with different types of army combinations that maybe weren't ones that you were using at lower town halls, but they use some of the same principles and the same fundamentals. Now, I think about my own personal Lalo experience, and I remember being <laughs> back in probably 2015, I had a coworker that started with us, and he came in one day, he was so excited after watching this YouTube video uh, to do a Town Hall 8 balloon attack. So it's like, you know, it's basically balloons and minions, and the balloons tank for the minions, and they take out the defenses, and you're raging them through the base, and then the minions clean everything up. And he was he was so proud to tell us, and so he's like, during lunch, he went to go sit in the break room, and he, he makes his attack, and he got like a 32% zero star. And really all he did was just completely spam all of his balloons on one side of the base, and they got destroyed by, I think it was like a dragon in the clan castle maybe like a dragon and a couple of archers because he like misplaced the poison or the dragon didn't go down to the poison and the dragon just destroyed all of his balloons because he just didn't really understand what to do with them. And that was the first time I had seen somebody try to do some kind of like balloon heavy attack. And I thought, well, that was a really dumb idea of going in just with balloons and not having anything to deal with the clan castle troops ahead of time. But I was interested in the notion that balloons could be such a force to reckon with. And eventually one of my other coworkers became a a very accomplished Lalo attacker at Town Hall 9, and I started seeing, like, there's definitely some power to this or some strength to this, but I was so heavily and thoroughly and fundamentally a hog rider attacker that I didn't actually spend much time learning those Lalo attacks. So when people wind up asking me, you know, you know, at what point should I move up? One of the, the most common things I get is, well, you know, like, I'm a Town Hall 9, my queen is a level 26, should I upgrade my Town Hall? And the truth is, at the end of the day, it's a game. And play the game the way you want, play the game to have fun, play the game to enjoy yourself, to relax, whatever it is you get out of the game. But I don't wind up recommending that people have hard and fast rules based around the levels of certain troops or the levels of certain defenses or the levels of your heroes. To be fair, anybody who's listening to this podcast is probably somebody who's been playing the game for at least a decent amount of time, and you know the importance of having heroes that are appropriately leveled at each town hall. I will also say that learning the strategies from one town hall to the next that will continue to benefit you in years to come as a clasher, those strategies are often most appropriately understood and practiced with higher level heroes. So I do wind up telling people like, try to get as close as you can to maxing your heroes before you move on. But more importantly, have a good broad understanding of different attack strategies as you come through. Now for attackers that are already maybe like a max Town Hall 15 or you're midway through Town Hall 14 and you're listening to this, if you have started a mini or you are working your way through a mini, I would actually encourage you to follow this advice and to get a couple of key attacks down at each level so that you can start understanding the basics and the fundamentals. Because attacking with Hog Riders at Town Hall 15 is such a wild proposition relative to attacking with them at Town Hall 7. Attacking with Hog Riders at Town Hall 7 is lure the Clan Castle troops, kill the Clan Castle troops, Hog Rider the rest of the base. And it's a perfectly viable strategy. And that same Hog Rider strategy starts moving you through until you piece by piece start dealing with the more dangerous new objects that come into play. And that is something that will serve you incredibly well for years to come throughout the game. So I personally don't have my bases rushed. I tend to max them. 
But I think the reason why it's more important for me personally to Maxim is because I do love learning and understanding these different skills and strategies at each town hall that I believe will wind up helping me out for years to come. Part of that, which brings us to our second subject of the day, is damage. Part of mastering attacks at each town hall has to do with figuring out the precise number of troops and the precise composition of troops that are necessary to help see you through any endeavor. One of the most important ways I can describe this is thinking about balloons at a town hall when you are making a Lalo attack, knowing how many balloons are necessary to take out each of the defenses as you are moving your Lalo through the base. Everybody, I think, has a general understanding of Lalo, but, you know, general idea, you you are essentially carving out a portion of the base, usually with your Archer Queen or your heroes, to basically break the rest of the, the base into somewhat of a boomerang or L shape, and you wind up deploying a Lava Hound to tank the defenses, and then a couple of balloons on each of the other non-air defense defenses, as the base essentially, you either move clockwise or counterclockwise around the base, taking out the defenses with balloons, and then you usually wind up cleaning up with a couple of minions. That pathing that you wind up taking, if you ever watch the really good Lalo attackers, you'll see them placing two or three balloons to each of the defenses as they're going. The most successful and consistent Lalo attackers don't just jam six or seven balloons down onto what would be an archer tower, or four or five balloons onto a mortar or a wizard tower. There is an appropriate amount of damage necessary to take that down, and then everything else after that is kind of wasted damage. And as a good example, I think about one of the first times I saw a close friend of mine make an attack at Town Hall 7 when he unlocked dragons. He was so excited. He's got, I got my dragons. They're level 1 dragons. And he goes into a war attack, and he just trained 10 dragons. And he's like, spam 10 dragons all in one spot right onto an army camp. So what happened was all 10 dragons start attacking the army camp, and because a level 1 dragon, they deal 140 damage per second, but because of the speed of their attack, each breath of fire that they deploy deals 175 damage. So he dumped 10 dragons right on one army camp, and they dealt 1,750 points of damage to this one army camp, which was way more damage than when necessary to actually destroy that army camp. So then he's got this one seething, massive clump of dragons trying to work its way through the base. Now, eventually they will fan out. They will start damaging other buildings, but they take such a long time in the beginning to move through some of the perimeter buildings. They're taking more damage from the defenses. They're under fire a little bit faster, and you aren't going to wind up meeting with as much success. This same exact philosophy I like to think of on the, cl the clan capital. I don't personally use the mountain golem. It's one of the coolest looking troops ever, and I love the concept for the troop. But I see sometimes I watch the replays against my attacks, I mean against my districts in the clan capital, and people like, they dump a mountain golem, and that's essentially what it's like to deploy nine P.E.K.K.A.s in the same place, or nine dragons in the same place. You inevitably are going to have time management issues, and you are going to have pathing issues, because there's you're, you're not actually forming a funnel to move the troops where you want them through the base. You're just kind of dumping them there and then hoping that they will go the direction you want them to go. Another good example of this, when I think about wasted damage that I see, sometimes somebody will do like a P.E.K.K.A. smash attack and they'll bring five P.E.K.K.A.s. They'll do a little bit of funneling and they'll put all five P.E.K.K.A.s in the same spot. And it functions very similarly to that Mountain Golem example, where yes, the P.E.K.K.A.s are absolutely shredding these bases, I mean these defenses or these buildings, but it doesn't take five P.E.K.K.A.s to destroy an Elixir Collector. It takes one P.E.K.K.A. So instead of having, let's say, 
three elixir collectors in a row each get their own P.E.K.K.A. attacking it, somebody dumps all the P.E.K.K.A.s on one, and it takes much longer because all five P.E.K.K.A.s smash the first elixir collector, then they go group smash the second one, and then they group smash the third one, and you are just wasting time moving through this attack. Another one of the ways that we wind up talking about this or thinking about this is when I see people making Town Hall 14 Hydra was, I know it's an easier attack, so my critics out there will say, oh, Town Hall 14 was easy, everybody was tripling. I kind of miss the triple rates of Town Hall 14, I'm not going to lie. I don't want it to be super easy, but I like it to be easier than it is at Town Hall 15. But when I would make my Hydra attacks, one of the things you would see is I would usually wind up deploying two dragons together. I would often use six dragons, and they would be deployed in three different places with two dragons together. Because for the most part, dragons at Town Hall 14 will not destroy by themselves in one shot whatever building it is that they're going to be attacking. So usually two dragons, especially for trash perimeter buildings like barracks or army camps, a lot of times two dragons after, say, like two puffs of damage will wind up taking it out instead of waiting for one dragon to deploy four puffs, or instead of having six dragons basically put six puffs of flame on a building that only requires four attacks to destroy. So one of the reasons why I like to deploy them in pairs of two is because it's enough damage that they will wind up still destroying the building relatively quickly, but it's not overkill. It's not way too much damage. And it's also not something where I spread the dragons out so wide that they take such a long time and they present so many different targets that a lot of defenses get involved. When I think about that notion of a lot of defenses getting involved, I think back to my Town Hall 10 and 11 days. Town Hall 10 Go Hog and Town Hall 11 Go Hog, probably my favorite attacks in the game. And what I would often do is deploy two golems uh, a decent space apart, right? You don't want them to converge on the same location. You want them to each be, you know, 10, 12, 14 tiles away from each other drawing fire from a lot of different defenses. And when I would watch people try to copy my Gohog attacks, maybe there's, say, six perimeter buildings outside the walls where I'm deploying my golems. I would put down my golems, and I'd put exactly one wizard on each of those buildings. And I can normally do this with only needing like 10 or 11 wizards between destroying perimeter buildings to help set up a funnel and then also having a few left over to clean up at the end of the attack. I'd see people copy my army composition, drop the two golems, and then put 10 or 11 wizards to take out six buildings. And that is such a waste of damage. In this instance, it's also a waste of cleanup troops, but the waste of damage is unbelievable. Where one wizard is able to take out, say, an elixir collector with two or three shots, two wizards, yes, can take it out in one or two, but now you have a troop that is inevitably not necessarily going to be providing the the role that you need, which is really just funneling in that instance. So you potentially give up either cleanup time on the back end by wasting wizards, or you give up valuable army camp space that could otherwise be taken up by hog riders when you're deploying way too much damage to take things out. I went through this really fun period where when the Flameflinger came out, I was doing mass P.E.K.K.A. attacks at almost every single town hall. I was doing mass P.E.K.K.A. attacks at town hall 14, 13, 12, 11, and 10. I think I had a, uh, maybe it was a YouTube video, I think, that Clash of Clans put on their Facebook page or on their Twitter page that got a lot of attention. And it was just a lot of fun. But I would see people try to copy the attack, and instead of spacing the P.E.K.K.A.s out the way that I would space them out, they would just kind of dump them all in one place. And again, we would wind up back in kind of like a mountain golem type of situation.
So there's this notion of not wanting to waste damage. At the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, there is making sure that you get enough critical mass to do what you need to do. And this is where some of the Lalo attacks, like, you can go the other direction. You can put not enough balloons and mess yourself up. I've seen people sometimes try to drop one balloon to snipe a mortar on the outside of the base, only to have that balloon fail to do so because it winds up getting too much damage from an archer tower or an expo, and then they wind up needing to deploy maybe another balloon, or they wind up wasting time. It's very important to know not just what the damage per second is that your troop deals, but how much damage it deals per hit. Because, like, balloons are a great example. They don't deal, they don't attack every second. It takes multiple seconds in between their attacks, which means if you take their damage per second, you multiply it by the number of seconds between attacks, you get the actual effective damage that they're going to be dealing. And that is an important number to know when you're making sure that you bring enough troops to bear to take down whatever defense you're looking at. In a lot of ways, the same thing applies to bat spells. I love bat attacks. One of the things I've seen people make the mistake of doing with bat attacks is they don't necessarily bring enough bats sometimes, and this is, you can err the wrong direction, you have too many bats as well. We all know, if you've ever made an attack using bats, it's the wizard towers and at higher town halls, the scatter shots that are the really scary pieces. Inferno towers are scary as well, but while they can hit five troops at the same time, a wizard tower can literally eliminate the entire swarm of bats in one shot. When you don't have enough bats heading into a wizard tower because you maybe place them too close to the wizard tower and you don't have enough critical mass to kind of build a swarm, ideally when your bats are heading toward a wizard tower, they previously stopped at an archer tower, a cannon, an air defense, something else that held them up for just a moment so they could kind of clump up into a bigger critical mass so that when you deploy that freeze spell on the wizard tower those bats will wind up taking out out in one, what I always look at as a dive, right? All the bats just like dive down and hit the defense. What you don't want is you freeze the defense and you don't have enough bats and they take a second or third dive and then the wizard tower either needs to be frozen again or it manages to catch your entire swarm. That is a situation where you need to make sure you have enough troops. I think back to the first time I had an attack on the builder base and you just like, you, you know, you have built you've rebuilt the boat you're sailing over and the villager pops up and she kind of walks you through and guides you through the attack against the builder base and they give you a couple of rage barbarians are like oh you know destroy the base and if you just spam them all right in front of the cannon you wind up destroying the base but if you place them all the way in the opposite corner and they go running over toward the cannon perhaps it's the same tutorial today as it was back then because they didn't change anything for the builder halls below level six but you can actually place your barbarians in such a way that the cannon will destroy them all and you won't get any damage done on the base. Now, the funny thing is it actually still tells you that you won on a 0% draw, and you know they show you like some dropships or minions or something that you presumably beat. So they'll show that you won, even though you destroyed nothing. That same idea of, like, I could deploy one barbarian at a time for the entirety of an attack, and I would never destroy a an expo right at some town hall one at a time the expo would eventually destroy the barbarian which you could see like at a town hall 15 if you have a cannon outside the walls with an expo covering it and you deploy 10 barbarians those 10 barbarians will take out the cannon if you deploy nine barbarians they will not take out the cannon because there's not enough damage to actually get through the defense protecting itself with the cannon and with the expo covering it. If you put down, but you will lose with those 10 barbarians, you will lose nine of them and only have one left that this expo that I'm making up here would wind up destroying. Whereas if you deployed, say, 15 or 20 barbarians, instead of losing nine barbarians along the way, you would only lose three or four or five barbarians because the amount of damage that is being dealt by the troops you've deployed is high enough to destroy that cannon fast enough that it hasn't been able to put out enough damage in return to your troops. 
And there are a lot of times where I see somebody, it's like, you know, if you use four hog riders in a certain area, you get nothing taken care of. If you use five hog riders, you'll get one specific defense taken down. And if you use eight hog riders, it will not only take down that defense, but two other defenses that are behind it because you're building up enough critical mass. And the trick is it's hard to figure out exactly how much damage needs to be applied in some of these situations. But if you just think about how much might need to be applied, you won't necessarily send 34 hog riders into the same defense when 18 or 16 or 12 or or 14 would wind up accomplishing the same thing. I don't see people sometimes space their troops out enough. I see this in Electro Dragon attacks all the time, where people put their Electro Dragons essentially in one massive clump. Again, Mountain Golem type of situation. They're dealing way more damage than necessary to wind up destroying the defenses or the perimeter buildings. And a lot of times what that'll even do is, because of all this extra damage being dealt to the buildings on the outside, then the Electro Dragons maybe fork and go different ways than you want, as opposed to if you had them in a little bit more of a cavalry charge where they are mowing down rows of buildings together and progressing and moving in a straight line essentially through the base. It's a difficult skill to master, but I encourage you to just practice against some bases. Drop six balloons and see what happens versus dropping four balloons, because those extra 10 housing spaces worth of troops that you have on the back end of your attack, whether in the form of those two balloons or a couple of minions that you're putting in for cleanup, can absolutely make all the difference in the world. Figuring out the right amount of damage, but not too much, is one of the most important skills I think every Clasher can learn. Which, of course, brings us to the last segment of our show. Questions from the audience! And as a reminder, which... I don't know, am I supposed to do this in the beginning of the podcast? If you're listening to my podcast, you probably already use code TRAMPLE for everything whenever you remember to do stuff. But if you do want to submit some questions for me to answer on the podcast, please do so by visiting the Trample Damage Discord server. I will have a link for it in the show notes down below. You're just listening in the ether. Go back to the podcast and look in the show notes and join the Discord server. Then you can type as many questions as you want, and I will take opportunities to answer them on each of the podcasts. So, uh, a couple questions this week. The first one coming from Frederic, who has posted quite a few questions, many of whom, many of which are very interesting. This question is, Clash of Clans feels to me like I'm committed to play every single day. So, when I'm very busy in real life, I worry that I am neglecting Clash and my clan. How should I best deal with this? So the first thing I will say, the answer to nearly everything in life is communication. Because if you are openly communicating with your clan, even if you have a very competitive clan, you say, hey, look, things are really busy right now. I'm not going to be available. There are easy ways that you can communicate even without communicating. Opt out of war. Now, of course, if you have a clan where everybody's opted out at the same time, that's not necessarily a lot of fun. And if you have too many people that are just vanishing from the game for a couple of days or a week at a time, troop requests are not getting filled. That can certainly become somewhat problematic. But I think that communication is one of the biggest and most important things in the game if you have like a lot of the clans that we have in the good guys family you've got five six seven eight twelve sixteen people that are opted out sometimes and you can still have a 15 25 20 30 person war and there are people that are on there every day making some of their normal attacks and there's enough critical mass so that donations aren't sitting there open for a very long period of time and you are able to still wind up getting the troops that you need even though you can of course use your raid medals to fill those but i think that everybody needs to set some kind of boundaries for themselves you need to have some kind of idea of like how much time you want to commit to the game and then communicate that to your clan and if you're in a clan that is hyper competitive that's all full of people in legend leagues that are you know legend league attacks eight attacks a day and like you know non-stop wars back to back and lots of friendly challenge wars in between 
then maybe you need a different clan if you're not necessarily the person who wants to commit to that. Whereas if you are somebody who likes to commit to that but periodically need a couple of days off, it feels like the kind of thing that if you just communicate with people, you will wind up getting the result that you need. I had an experience just recently going out to dinner with my family where something was taking way too long. I've worked in restaurants. I know exactly how long some of the stuff is supposed to take, and it was way too long. And if somebody had just come out to say, hey, I forgot to put in your order, or we dropped your food in the back, or we overcooked somebody's meal, I would have actually been fine with that. I understand that things happen in the restaurant, but nobody came out to communicate with us, and that made things so much worse. I think that the same thing applies in Clash. Communicating with your clan is such an important piece of this, and if your clan understands what's going on in your life, they're going to wind up being supportive. This question coming from Magnus. Clash is nearing 11 years. Do you think there is longevity in the game? Simple answer, yes, I do believe there is longevity in the game. There are a lot of really great ideas that the Clash team gets, whether it's from the community, whether it's from the developers, whether it's inspiration from other games. I think there's going to be enough content for them, I'm going to say at least another six or seven or eight years in the game without having to stretch too far or do anything really weird. The Clan Capital was a great introduction. The overhaul of the builder base, I believe, was really great. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily big fans of it, but I really enjoy the new builder base, I think that there's a lot of great stuff that they can have that they will continue to be able to put out in the form of new troops, new defenses, new attack modes, you know, competition. There's so many things that I think they have available. I really honestly would not be surprised if Clash of Clans winds up going another 10 years. The creators that are in the game, and I'm not just saying myself because like this is a, a hobby, it's a part-time thing I do because I love the sound of my voice. The creators in the game are so committed. They do such a great job of keeping people interested and engaged. I really honestly feel like there's quite a bit of time left in Clash. And the last question for today coming from Liam Titan. How do you balance your time between playing Clash and creating content for YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, and so on? And what are some of the biggest challenges you face in doing so? This is a very difficult question because I enjoy playing Clash for the sake of playing Clash. I also enjoy making content for the different platforms that I create content for, including now the addition of having a podcast that I'm trying to find time for. And the truth is, in a lot of ways, I approach Clash the same way I think I don't know, at least the way I approach a buffet. Many people go to the buffet and they want to get a little bit of everything and they grab a bunch of everything, they put it on their plate, they come back, they sit down, they eat until they don't feel well. I tend to take the approach when I go to a buffet of knowing that there is more food there than I could possibly consume and that would be good for me to consume, but I just wind up glancing around a little bit. I see what sort of piques my interest or tickles my fancy, I start there, and then whenever I'm getting full, I realize, oh, I, I didn't try that cool-looking lasagna that they had, or I didn't get something from their carving station over here, or I only had one cookie from the dessert area, even though there were all these really cool-looking desserts. I, I will say that I prioritize more than anything just because it's my biggest following and it is the easiest content to create. I wind up focusing very heavily on TikTok. I'll try and make one TikTok each day because usually in like five to 10 minutes, I can make a, a video that's about a minute and 10, a minute and 20 seconds that will at least be reasonably appealing. And then from there, I, I'll get some war raids in. I mean, uh, some regular uh, multiplayer attacks in. I'll make some of my war hits. Sometimes I'll do a builder base attack. Some clan games 
games. I'll get a couple of my bases involved. Some of them I don't do any. But I tend to approach it knowing that time is absolutely the limiting reagent when it comes to Clash of Clans. My family is my number one priority. I have other hobbies. I like to read a lot. I like to play with my dogs. I like to spend time with my family. And I know that there's only so much time. Some content creators, largely the ones I'm assuming that do this for a living, are trying to do all of these things at the same time. They're trying to eat a little bit of everything at the buffet. And I think it winds up making them sick and it makes them too full and they're biting off in a proverbial way much more than they can chew with the creation. I was having a conversation with Kenny Joe recently about his YouTube and how much time and effort he spends. And he said, you know, I'm at this point in my career, I'm doing like maybe one or two like big meaningful YouTube videos each week with shorts peppered in between because I'm not trying to make like a 10 minute YouTube video every single day. And I actually think that's a great approach that he's taking there. I tend to approach it in the same way. I'll go stretches sometimes where it's two or three weeks in between having posted a YouTube video because number one, they take longer. There's more editing. I have to make a thumbnail, you know, because my YouTube videos are somewhere around 10 minutes long, whereas a TikTok is a minute and 10 or a minute and 15 seconds. And a lot of times the TikTok content, I'm just like grabbing an attack and being like, hey, here's how this attack works. Whereas YouTube, they're a little bit more deliberate, a little bit more precise what I'm trying to do. Same thing also applies to Reddit. Sometimes I'll go through this thing where it's like I'm really enjoying Reddit and I'll wind up making a lot of posts on Reddit. And, you know, from the buffet analogy, that's like I, I'm focused on the Italian food a lot. And then I'll go through a period where like I don't eat any Italian food sometimes when I'm in the buffet and I'm focusing on other stuff. But I know that there are all these options. I'm never going to be able to eat enough of everything. And I just want to enjoy myself as I go. So that is my general approach, not only to Clash of Clans and content creation for Clash of Clans, but to life in general, where my main priority is my family, and I try to enjoy myself, and I try to be kind to other people, and I try to make cool podcasts and fun TikToks, and hopefully you have enjoyed this podcast, and I appreciate you guys hanging around. If you do want to wind up supporting me in any ways, uh, the easiest one, obviously, is using code TRAMPLE whenever you wind up making any purchases in-game. You can join the Discord server to chat with some of the other people in the Trample Damage family or in the Good Guys family. You can post questions on there. You can, of course, also support me by watching my content because I get marginal amounts of revenue from that as well. And you can also just, you know, like the videos that I make and, you know, put some positive comments on them because that's really what I do this for. I have fun with the audience. I have fun with the community. I love the game and I love to share. And I look forward to talking to you guys on the next podcast.